had men, men's breakfast this morning. Some of you walked in, probably smelled the bacon. It was really good. I'm still a little full from that. It was. Uh, we had some bacon and some eggs and sausage and biscuits and gravy, homemade gravy. It was really, really good. And we had we had uh, Coach Mitch Stewart from Murray State football. The football coach from Murray State was here to be our guest speaker this morning, and Coach Stewart presented to us some of what they try to talk to their players about. And he presented that from a from a spiritual standpoint, challenging us on some ways that we can grow in our spiritual lives in some of the same ways that he challenges his players to grow both spiritually and physically and emotionally and all those things. And it was interesting as he went through what he was talking about, you could tell that Coach Stewart is a very, very detail-oriented person. But as a coach, he doesn't miss anything. That he has everything exactly the way that he wants it to be, and he explains it very well to his players so that they cannot get into a game situation or even a practice situation and say, well, coach, you, you never mentioned that before. You, you never, never said that. He, he wants his players to know, and I guarantee you, he, he makes sure that his coaching staff knows we are going to cover every single possible scenario so that our players are prepared for anything and everything that can happen on the field. And that's what I kind of picked up just sort of as a secondary point to what he was saying is this guy's on top of it. He doesn't miss anything. He covers every single thing that they need to know. And that's really what a good coach does. He or she will prepare his or her players for everything that they need to know. Everything that will help them to be successful. Players in those meetings and in those practices and when they hear those words, players, by the way, they don't have the option of saying, well, that part sounds good, but I don't want to listen to this part over here. I, I, I think I'll do what the coach says in this area of, of this game or whatever, but this other stuff, I'm just not real comfortable with that, and so I'm not going to do that. A player can't please the coach unless the player is willing to trust the coach to the point to do anything and everything that the coach says to do. Now, you don't have to be an athlete, a former athlete, a coach, or a former coach to understand those concepts. You know that problems come in when players don't do, here's what the coach said to do, here's what the coach explained to do, here's how the coach showed you how to be successful, and players say, eh, I'm good, I'm not going to do that. Problems come in. So a good coach will prepare his or her players that way. Now, God obviously is no different and is far away better than any coach we know. He tells us everything that we need to know. The Bible contains every single thing we need to know for what to believe and how to behave. God did not leave anything out. He did not make any mistakes. We don't have to go and ask for another testament so that we understand really what God wants us to know. He gave us everything, and it's all summed up ultimately in Jesus Christ, as we see in the New Testament. God has shown us everything that he wants us to know, how to live, what to believe, and so on. And guided by the Holy Spirit, as we have seen Paul be done so far in 2 Corinthians, he gets to a portion of his writing today that we're going to look at where he covers a subject that most of us would rather the coach not talk about. Most of us would rather the coach not talk about giving. Most of us would rather say, okay, God, I get you. I understand. You know, I, I know what you say about money, and that is that if I'm faithful to you, I'll have lots of it. Right? At least that's what I heard on television. That's, that's what I'm going for, God. I'd like a lot of that stuff, that green stuff called money. I really, so God, I'm going to be really good so that you'll give me a lot of this stuff so that I can enjoy it and I will show everybody how blessed I am. And here's what God does for those who follow him. He gives them lots of stuff. That's what we like to believe that the coach has said. God, however, does not operate in that way. And, and that's not the extent of his teaching, by the way, is just that we'll be faithful and God will bless you with all this stuff. That's, that's false teaching. 
teaching. Uh, God talks about things that we would rather the coach not talk about. But I'll tell you this, I'm glad that he does. I'm, I'm really glad God doesn't leave us in the dark as to what to do with our stuff. Do you know that one of the leading causes of stress, one of the leading causes of relationship problems, one of the leading causes, in fact, of divorce is things over money and finances. And everybody in the room said amen to that, right? We know how much stress it causes us. We know how difficult it is. What should I do with this stuff that I have? What should I do with my money? What am I supposed to do when I don't have enough? How, how am I supposed to handle it? God does not leave that stuff out of his scripture. He doesn't say, hey, the most stressful thing in your life, you're on your own with it. Good luck. The, the most difficult thing that you'll have to make decisions over, eh, you know what, I, I'm, I'm just going to leave that up to you. The thing that could lead to, to so many relationship problems, eh, I don't really care about that. That's not what God does. He covers every single thing. So we don't have to guess what he wants when it comes to money and giving. We, we don't have to figure it out on our own. Uh, and we don't have to... to to go in the dark with something that affects so much of our lives. Now, Paul in this letter called 2 Corinthians is doing really two things. He's trying to rebuild a relationship with the Corinthians because they've been on some very difficult terms. He, he's had to challenge them in some areas. They've not thought a lot of him. They've complained about him and so on as, as their church founder. And, and some people have been allowed to remain in the church that are criticizing Paul. And so he's trying to rebuild this relationship. But secondly, as we see as he turns the page in chapter 8 today, he's also trying to collect for the Jew Jerusalem Christians who were in a very bad way. Back then, uh, if the Jews converted to Christianity, they basically lost everything. They were disowned by their families and so on. And so they had no jobs, they had no place to live. And so Paul is trying to collect this money to go and help them. It's God's kingdom work, and Paul is the spearhead. He's making sure that it all gets collected. So those are his two purposes. Part, part of what he's doing, as we will see today, is that collection. And so we're going to receive this same instruction he gives to the Corinthians. Uh, that is, if you truly want to follow Jesus, your stuff matters. What you do with your stuff, how you operate with your stuff, your heart attitude toward your stuff, it matters. Now, some of us immediately recoil, by the way, when you walk in on a Sunday morning and you realize that the pastor is talking about money today. Right? Some of you are like, well, I don't really want to admit it, but yeah, that's true. Yeah, okay, yeah. That's the truth, right? Because you've heard it a million times. And you've seen it abused, haven't you? I mean, you've seen it done the wrong way. You, you've, seen, you've seen it, boy, they, they just, uh, all, all the time. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. We have already collected the offering. We are not going to collect another one today. Okay? We're not going to pass the plate at the end to see if you really paid attention and do you really feel the pressure today. All right? We're not going to do that. We're not going to take another offering till next week. You will have forgotten everything I've said by next week, so it's okay, right? We're not going to take one again. This has nothing to do, let me tell you this, this has nothing to do, I promise you this, with how much money the church does or does not have. It has nothing to do with that. It's interesting, by the way, the timing of, of chapter 8 arriving on this day. When I set this, this sermon series up back in November, this sermon was to arrive sometime back in the middle of March because that's just with the timing. Well, with a couple of snow out church days and a time that I was going to have to be gone that I didn't realize and so on. It's pushed everything back until we get to the week before the resurrection, the week of the cross. And guess what we're talking about? Giving. What does it say in John chapter three, verse 16? What did God do? God so loved the world that he what? That he gave. Isn't it interesting that God ordained the timing of this thing? I didn't do it. I didn't set it up. Trust me. If I were going to preach on giving, I wouldn't do it the Sunday before and the Sunday after Easter. I would not do that. Okay. That's dumb. Okay. It's really dumb. If you're pastor to set it up that way. Wouldn't do that. But that's where God has us. We're in 2 Corinthians, so we're just getting there. 
And it's interesting God has that timing because Jesus, the ultimate, the epitome of God's giving, we see it this week. Anyway, so I want you to turn to chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. You got it there? 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It's, I don't know, what are we about... uh, Five, six of the way through the scripture. How about that? Seven, eights, maybe. So if you get all the way to the maps, turn back to the left, go back just a little bit. Second Corinthians follows First Corinthians, interestingly enough. And we're in chapter eight. Series called No Pain, No Gain, talking about Paul and his understanding that without pain in life, without God taking us through some difficult stuff, we'd never grow. Look in verse 1 of chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God granted to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. I testify that on their own, according to their ability and beyond their ability, they begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves especially to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So we urged Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete this grace to you. Now, as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in all diligence and in your love for us, excel also in this grace. I'm not saying this is a command. Rather, by the means by means of the diligence of others, I am testing the genuineness of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Although he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Now I'm giving an opinion on this because it is profitable for you, who over a year ago began not only to do something but to desire it. But now finish the task as well, that just as there was eagerness to desire it, so there may be also a completion from what you have. For if the eagerness is there, it is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. It is not that there may be relief for others and hardship for you, but it is a question of equality. At the present time, your surplus is available for their need, so that their abundance may also be available for your need, that there may be equality. As it has been written, the person who gathered much did not have too much, and the person who gathered little did not have too little. I want to give you some principles this morning about how do we understand and how do we receive abundance through poverty. Ultimately, this will all center on Jesus Christ, so that's where we're tracking this morning. But Paul gives us some great principles about generosity, if you will, about how to experience abundance, even though maybe you are making yourself poor. So here are some principles. The the, the first one that Paul gets to is the idea that none of our objections to giving holds water. Not a single one. None holds water. Uh, Let me give you some examples here. Uh, an example of an objection might be, well, hey, look, you, you don't know my financial situation. I mean, you know, you, you don't understand. And, and, and the truth is, for many in our country, in our area, and in this county, and in this side of the county, it's rough right now. You, you're not experiencing financial overload. You, you're, you're, you're very much under. Sometimes we dug the hole, right? We did it to ourselves. Sometimes we didn't. But regardless, here we are. Some of us are really, really struggling. And so, uh, you know, maybe, maybe it's a hole that you just don't feel like you can get out of. And so what we say in that is, well, you know, I mean, I can't afford to give anything. There's no way. I can't, I can't afford to be generous right now. There's just no, I, I don't have it. Or how can I give when I've got all this debt? Or, you know, when I, when I make more, then, I'll, then I'll, I'll give. I mean, I'll start to give or I'll give more, whatever. Let me tell you what some studies show. Just, just, this is just cold, hard facts uh, about charitable giving uh, in general. Not just church giving, but charitable giving. This was a study uh, just a couple of years ago. The, the average amount deducted as charitable giving per family in the United States was $1,200 for a year. Uh, and and here's the, the interesting thing. Unless, and this is what the studies show, unless your income is higher than $10 million a year, 
Or state police? No, okay. Unless, unless your income is higher than $10 million a year, you're unlikely to give a higher percentage to charitable organizations. So, well, as soon as I have more, I'll give more. At $10 million a year, there you go. In 2011, those who made between forty-five dollars and $50,000 a year gave a higher percentage of their income than any other group other than the $10 million earners. Isn't that interesting? There is a steady decline in percentage giving once the income reaches 60000 and it doesn't increase again until the person reaches $1 million a year. That's pretty shocking to me. It's interesting that if our financial situation changes, it's got to change big time. So here's the deal. I think God would say, okay, well, you say, well, you know, you don't know my financial situation. The, the deal is that between 60000 and a million dollars, giving by percentage goes down. Financial situation could go up to $900,000 a year, but studies will tell you that giving at that point still doesn't increase. Financial situation, I think God would say, it ain't got much to do with it. Know what I mean? Paul said these churches in Macedonia got involved with this collection that Paul is taking for the Jerusalem Christians, and they got involved with it during a time of great difficulty and great need. And they received a special grace from God to be able to participate. Their situation, Paul says in verse 2, was one of severe testing by affliction that resulted in deep poverty. They got nothing. And they're going through it. Maybe you know what that feels like. It's one thing after another, after another, after another, after another. And theirs resulted from their faith in Jesus Christ. They are truly in deep and dark affliction and poverty. And that's where they're experiencing it. It says, however, Paul said that they had an abundance of joy. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe I'm just not real spiritual. But if I'm going through severe affliction and deep poverty, joy is about the last thing on my mind. You dig what I'm saying? It is. Hold on. I'm just trying to figure out how to get out of this mess. Joy. Paul says in the midst of their deep affliction, their deep poverty, they've got an overflowing joy. You say, well, they're just not seeing reality. I think Paul would beg to differ. I think Paul would say they're seeing true reality. They're seeing things for what they really, really are. How is it? That someone, even a whole group of people, could have so much joy in the midst of so much difficulty and poverty. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul wrote about what he called the fruit of the Spirit. What is produced in believers as they walk according to God's Spirit. Do you know what one aspect of that is? It's the second one mentioned. It goes love and then what? Joy. Do you know how to have joy in the midst of your deep, dark, awful, terrible time? And that is to walk by the Holy Spirit. Follow God, follow Jesus in the middle of that time. Paul says, by implication, that's what the Macedonians are doing. And they have this wealth of generosity that results not from what they have externally in their stuff, but from their joy found only in Jesus Christ. And they have a, he says, this wealth, this overflowing generosity. You ever seen kids put ketchup on stuff? 
or syrup or sugar. You know what I'm saying? They just keep going, and you got to stop them. You ever seen kids with cereal, and they just, you know, it's, it's, it's one scoop of sugar after another. I remember doing that when I was a kid, so that when I got down, when all the cereal was finally gone, I could just scrape out the sugar and eat it with the milk. Y'all did that, didn't you? And so that's, yeah. And ketchup, you know, we just, we love ketchup. We just get it everywhere. My kids always, always, always have had much more ketchup than they ever needed. They're just generous with it. You want some ketchup? Yeah, let's empty the bottle. Here we go. You know, just, that's what they do with ketchup, right? And then it sits there and it really smells great later on. That's just what ketchup does, okay? But that's, it's, and then syrup. We've got syrup right now in three or four places on the floor in our house. We can't figure out where it came from, although we had waffles not long ago. So we were really generous with the syrup everywhere. That's just the way it went, right? That's just the way it is. We keep, well, we thought we got that, got up. Oh, no, there's another sticky. Our kids are generous with ketchup. They're getting generous with sugar and they're generous with syrup. That's just the way it is. Paul says that's how the Macedonians were with their stuff. They just said, here it is. Just take, let's go. Let's have joy and let's give. They said, we have a wealth of generosity. Paul says it was on their own. It was by their own choice. By their own choice, they kept begging over and over, according to their ability, he said, but even beyond that. They would not let Paul alone. Paul, we understand what you're doing. You're taking up this collection. We know that God's at work here. You've got to let us get involved. I almost imagine Paul saying, guys, look, I'm going to go to these other folks right now who are not in such bad shape, and they're going to give. You guys just take it easy. Let God, let God minister to you a little bit. They said, no, 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 stop. Stop. We've got to be involved with this. We, we can't, we, we're not, we're not going to let other people give. And, and when, we, when we have, we've experienced such great joy in Jesus, we're going to give too. And he says what is really even more amazing in verse 4. He said, they begged insistently for the privilege of giving. Privilege. That's how they saw it. This privilege of sharing in this ministry. Far beyond even what Paul said they had expected. Maybe Paul thought he'd get a nice letter from them. Hey, we're praying for you. We can't give right now, but we're praying for you. Um, maybe that's what he expected, but he said even beyond what we expected, they just gave and gave and gave. And so in summary of all that particular objection, guess what? Does not dictate our giving, our financial situation. Doesn't. You might say, okay, all right, whatever, okay, I got you. But, but you know, here's another objection that honestly, if I'm, if I'm being truthful with you this morning, I just want to stand up and tell you, don't tell me what to do with my stuff. Just shoot you straight. Just don't, just stop. Well, tell me what to do with my stuff, because I've heard preachers do that before, and I'm about done with it. And I showed up to church today, and man, it's the first time I've been at your church, and I knew it. I knew it. Knew it. Oh, I knew it. Man, the last time I went to church, they were talking about the same thing. You guys that just get together in between and just say, hey, you know what? You know, you know those people? Yeah, I hear they're going to visit your church. Why don't you talk about money? Because that's what I did last time. That's what I knew it. I knew it. Tell me what to do with my stuff. And we like this one, I'll be honest with you. We, we, man, we protect our stuff, don't we? Some of you got alarm systems, some of you got dogs, some of you got a shotgun. You protect your stuff, right? You got the little sign on the door that says, we don't call 911, right? We don't. You, you don't. You just let them have it, you know? And then, I, but that's, you protect your stuff. After all, I mean, you're the one that earned the money to buy it, right? I and mean, you pay the taxes, you pay the insurance. You got the right to do with your stuff whatever you want, or at least so we think. Because what happens when you miss some payments on your stuff? The real owner takes it back, don't they? Uh, okay, we'll have that now. What happens if, if you don't pay the property taxes on your stuff? You get fines and you get threats from the real owner of your stuff. What happens when you die? The real owner of your stuff gets half of all that, right? Then your kids sell the rest in the yard sale. There went all your stuff. Man, they just, oh, it's 25 cents. Are you taking a nickel? Yeah, look, just, yeah, 
Okay, dad had all this stuff, just take it. That's what happens, right? The government gets half and your kids sell the rest. That's just the way that it goes. They go on a cruise. There you go. <laughs> we think our stuff is our stuff, but what if it's not really our stuff in the first place? What if it's not? What if we don't have to be discouraged about that, by the way? What if we lived as if our stuff really wasn't our stuff anyway? You know what we learn in Scripture? Our stuff isn't our stuff. It doesn't belong to us. We learn that anything that we have is so that we can manage it on God's behalf. We are managers. We, the Bible uses the word steward. We are the ones who are to guide it and govern it and use it and manage it the way that the true owner says, here's what you're supposed to do with it. So the objection to say, well, don't tell me what to do with my stuff is kind of dumb, quite honestly. No offense, because it's not really our stuff in the first place. In verse 5 of chapter 8, Paul says that they gave themselves first to the Lord. So their first priority in life is we belong to Jesus. And so as a result of that, guess what? If we belong to Jesus, how interesting and sort of weird is it to say, yes, I belong to Jesus, but my stuff belongs to me. That doesn't make much sense, does it? But that's what we think sometimes. Paul says they first gave themselves to Jesus, and then he says they gave themselves to us by God's will. And he says, so we urge Titus to keep this going amongst the Corinthians. We want you to experience this same level of spiritual growth. And that's what it is, folks. It's a matter of spiritual growth. You may be right now saying, man, you're getting on us pretty good. That's not the point. The point is, grow spiritually so that we come to understand my stuff isn't my stuff. It's on loan from God to be managed like he wants it to be managed. That's, that's what it is. And another objection may be that, okay, I get it. I get it. Kind of based on those other two. The church really just wants my money. I mean, you know, um, I. I, I, you got some things you want to do. You got some some salaries to pay. You got some ministries to finance. The church just wants my money. I mean, let's be honest. Um, and, and let me let me in all seriousness, uh, for those of you that have been burned by that kind of thing before, let me in in all seriousness with sincerity just apologize to you, because I truly am on behalf of those who have done it. I'm sorry that so many Christians and leaders and churches have made you feel like that because it's wrong. It's, it's wrong. It's unbiblical. Uh, it's, it's not the right thing to do. Um, so many have mismanaged money, stolen it from the church, embezzled it. So many have, have been greedy. They've manipulated people. They've manipulated emotions. and They've coerced folks. And it's a black eye on the church. I mean, it really is. It's a, it's a black eye. Um, so few have taught really what God has to say about giving and a biblical stance on money and giving and so on. Um, and, and, and so many have done in secret some things that they don't want anybody else to know about and so on. Um, I, I, as far as I am concerned, I don't, I don't ever want us to be like that here. I'll get into some things the week after Easter when we continue what Paul is, is writing. We'll talk about kind of how, how we manage money here at the church. But I want you to know that we don't have secrets. We don't have them. There are some things, of course, that we're sensitive about just because, okay, these are sensitive matters and so on. But we're, we don't have secrets. You don't have to wonder, is your money going towards something that nobody knows about? No, there's no secret hidden line items. or We don't have that stuff. We, we simply want to funnel the money that God has given us, your tithes and offerings, toward what God wants us to do. Now, we may disagree sometimes on what really that is, but we're not trying to hide anything. So I just, just understand that. Our goal is to make sure that, that when we talk about, when we collect an offer, we talk about money, anything, it's not, well, give us your money. 
It's not what it's about. Anyway, um, Paul says, as a matter of spiritual growth, he says in verse 7, as you excel in everything, also excel in this. He, he compliments him. You're doing so well in so many areas. And he just says, look, make this part of it. Just let God have access to these area, this other area of your life. And so the first principle, all right, you're thinking, man, he's still got three more to go. Dog, on. I, I, we'll get there, okay? I promise. Some of you come on Wednesday nights, by the way. <laughs> and yeah, you're already laughing. Some of you come on Wednesday nights and I always have this handout. And I never, 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 not once, I don't think, ever, ever have I gotten finished with it. Okay? But I'm going to get done with this today. Okay? Because Easter's coming next week and we gotta, we're going to turn the page. But anyway, we're going to get done. Three more. First principle, none of our objections to giving holds water. The second one is that once you understand grace, giving is a privilege. So the objections that we have, well, you know, okay, God just shoots holes in all those things. But he also follows it up with, and Paul's writing here, once you understand grace, giving is a privilege. And when that happens, your financial situation won't dictate your joy and your generosity. It won't be any longer that you view it as your stuff to guard and protect, but it's God's stuff. And once I understand grace, then it's a true privilege to give. So giving, giving is a privilege. So let me encourage you to not turn it into a couple of things. Don't turn it into an obligation. Don't turn it into an obligation. Uh, Paul says in verse 8, if you look at it, chapter 8, verse 8, he says, I'm not saying this as a command. What did I tell you from the start? We're not going to collect another offer. If I wanted this morning to see, did this sermon have any impact? Or more likely, did I have any impact this morning? We'd take another offer. And you know what you'd do? You would either not give to say, that ain't working, or you'd give a lot to shut me up. One of those two would happen. So understand, that's not, this is not a command. You had better do this or else. That's not what Paul's saying. That's not what God's saying. It, it, it's, it's a privilege. You might say, well, okay, I know I should, I should. How many of us have ever kept something going for a long time because we were obligated to do so? How many of you had your heart in it for a long, long, long time and you really wanted to do something because somebody made you do it? That's why you moved out of the house, right? I ain't doing that no more. Get me out of here. They just tell me what to do. They're just obligating me. We don't do things long term, nor is our heart in it long term, if we are made to do something. However, when we understand what grace is, now it's a privilege to be a part of that work. It's not an obligation. He says here, I'm giving you, in verse 10, look at it, I'm giving an opinion on this because it's profitable for you who a year ago began not only to do something but to desire it, but now finish this task. So it's not about an obligation. It's not about just wanting to do good things. Paul says, follow through. Follow through. Here's what God has said for us to do. Here's the joy that is in that. And so simply follow through. It's a privilege to be a part of what God is doing. Privilege to be a part of, 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 of giving towards something that is beyond us and so on. Obligations, good intentions, those things keep us from giving of the right heart. So does that ownership mentality that I mentioned earlier. Look at verse 13. He says, it's not that there may be relief for others and hardship for you. He said, I'm not, I'm not asking you to give so that it's a loss for you. You know, sometimes we don't give. It's not a privilege to give because we feel like, well, I'm losing something. I mean, I'm never going to get that back. I mean, I, man, that's a lot. Really? I, I, don't, I don't know. I, Paul says it's, this isn't about so you'd have a loss. This is about the privilege of being involved with what God is doing. And if that can't get you fired up, then there's something going on in our hearts that we need to get right with the Lord and say, God, man, I, I'm, not, I'm just not excited about what you're doing. 
And Paul, Paul knew that these folks at that time, they had more than enough, and he's just wanting them to release their ownership and say, God, you've got it. You take it. Uh, scriptures, by the way, some references, if you want to write them down and go study them later about the ownership mentality. Psalm 24.1 tells us that the earth is the Lord's. Okay, got that. And he says, everything in it. You know what the word in, in the Hebrew, everything means? It's a really interesting word. In the Hebrew, the original Hebrew, the word everything means everything. <laughs> See how smart I am? It's everything in it. You, me, our stuff, your stuff, my stuff, everything in it. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 18 says that it is God who gives us even the ability to go and make a living. Even that is God's. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 34, he says, Jesus does, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. What do we always worry about? Taking care of ourselves, right? He says, no, don't worry about that. And then he says, basically, Jesus calls us all really dumb. Okay, I love how he does this. He calls us dumb. He calls us, Pete, you, you have little faith. Y'all are just dumb. Because if I take care of the birds and the flowers in the field, uh, apparently I can't take care of you. Is that, you know, I, I just, I, Jesus, by the way, is so cool. And especially in his subtle sarcasm. Like you guys, right, you see the birds, right? You see those, those flowers and the grass that grows? Yeah, I got them, but apparently I'm not big enough to take care of you because you're worried. Anyway, he says that stuff to me, at least. That, you know, that's, anyway. So those are, we're not owners, but we're managers. Okay, so third principle. You understand grace, it's a privilege. Third principle is look again at the grace of Jesus. We're not just talking about grace and good people and so on. We're talking about the actual grace of Jesus Christ. Look at it in verse 9. It's on the front of your bulletin this morning. There it is. He says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says, although he was rich. Stop there. We're not even talking financially rich. Although the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. We're talking about rich in glory. Where was Jesus before he came to earth? He was in heaven enjoying the eternal worship of the angels. He was rich. He had everything. And what does it say? Although he was rich for your sake, he what? Became poor. Do you know that becoming a man should have been below God? But he did it anyway. He was rich, everything, glory, and became poor. He became one of us. Why? It says, for your sake. To demonstrate his grace and that while we were still sinners, God demonstrated his love that Jesus died for us. To demonstrate his grace in humbling himself to obedience, even the obedience of death on a cross, Philippians 2 says. To humble himself to become, literally become sin on our behalf, 2 Corinthians 5 says, so that we might become the righteousness of God. He humbled himself, extended his grace. And let me encourage you today, as we talk about Good Friday and Easter Sunday coming up in this next week, look again at the grace of Jesus. Don't, don't look at the great cause that we're giving to. Don't look at the things that the church is doing and say, okay, well, you know, there's some good things to be involved with. No, 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 no. Look at the grace of Jesus. Look at Him. 
Look at what he has done. Look at who he is. Look at what he has done for us. Look at how he left the abundance and he took on poverty so that we might, through his poverty, gain his abundance. Look again at the grace of Jesus. And then really to kind of sum up all of this, that last little principle there is really the overall statement that I want you to take away today and I want you to meditate on it and I want you to let it soak in and I want you to let God beat you up with it if he needs to because he beats me up with it too. All right, I get to deal with this stuff all the previous week as I studied. Ain't no fun being a preacher, I promise you that. No fun. Because you get beaten up with it. Y'all just get it for 35 minutes on Sunday morning, okay? I'm just telling you, I've been wrestling with this all week long, and here it is. Here's what I want you to wrestle with. As you look again at the grace of Jesus, let his grace determine your generosity. Let his grace determine your generosity. Love like he loved. Give like he gave. Let, let, let that be your guide. You say, well, pastor, I need it in clearer terms. I can't make any clearer than that. I need you just to spell it out for me. It's pretty well spelled out on the cross. I can't do it. I need you to tell me just exactly how much are you talking about. I have no idea. I don't know. All I'm going to tell you is you let his grace determine your generosity. Look at the grace of Jesus. Focus on that. Focus on him. Let it soak in. And then operate accordingly. I got a feeling that if you're open to what God wants to do in your life, that'll change your life right there. It'll change it. I mean, it could be, boom, just like that, change it completely. It may be over time as, as you look at your financial situation and you say, you know what? Our generosity doesn't match the grace of Jesus. It may be over time that, that you as an individual or you as a, as a couple, you as a household, you say, you know what, we're going to make a plan to let our generosity match the grace of Jesus. Here's how we're going to get there. And we're going to be people who just say, you know what, Lord, it's not ours. We're going to look again at the grace of Jesus, I pray, this week. And then we're going to give. We're going to give our lives to Jesus, first and foremost. Paul said they first gave themselves to the Lord. Today, let me tell you, just like I told these little kids that came down here, Jesus loves you. He loves you. For your sake, he became poor, that you might become rich. In receiving him, you might become rich with riches that no one can quantify. He loves you. Gave himself for you. That you might not die, but might have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Look at His grace. And then give your life completely to Him. Give your money, your stuff toward what He's doing. Give yourself completely to Him. That's the message today. Look again at the grace of Jesus. And then just let His grace determine your generosity. Live accordingly. Let's pray together.